Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. Today is VBPH Sunday, where we feature a message that was recently preached from the pulpit of our church here in Virginia Beach, Virginia. You'll hear from Pastor Adam Dragoon and any other visiting preachers who have come through our church. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. I want to ask you to open up your Bible with me. We're going to look at Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, if you'll join me there. And with the... uh, with the entrance of the Christmas season into our calendar, um, I wanted to reflect a little bit on the reason why we have a holiday in the month of December. And uh, it's almost like clockwork. Every year as, as uh, Thanksgiving goes by and we all stuff our faces and we are grateful to God for the things that he has done in our lives and sometimes almost without thinking, we take the next step and start decorating trees and lights and start buying gifts and shopping and all of those things, they have just kind of all gone together almost automatically. Uh, And I think it is uh, helpful and reasonable for believers to reflect and pause at the beginning of a holiday season to remember what is the reason that we're doing these things. You know, um, have you ever seen Fiddler on the Roof? Classic... uh, uh, stage play and musical, and uh, the opening song is traditions, traditions, and halfway through the song they say, "Why do we do these things?" I don't know. It's tradition, and if we're not careful, we can have all of these things that we do, and all of these decorations, and uh, we can have a tree, and we can have decorations and lights and and uh, fuzzy things and singing candles and all, all all of the all of the things that the Christmas season brings and forget the reasons why and so I want to focus on that this morning for a few moments if you would allow me so as you know Christmas is not the only holiday that happens in the month of December there is also a, a, a famous Jewish holiday that's happening at the same time and that is called Hanukkah and for many people, Hanukkah is a mystery. <laughs> Hanukkah is a mystery, number one, because there's about 18 different ways to spell it. Nobody knows how to spell Hanukkah, whether it starts with a C-H or an H, if it has two Ks or one K. Uh, but uh, the reason that Hanukkah can be confusing is because, obviously, most of us are not Jewish, and we feel bad for Jewish friends uh, because they don't they don't have all the same traditions. And, uh, uh, but just to give you a little bit of background of why Jewish people celebrate Hanukkah at this time, it was about 300 years before the birth of Jesus. The land of Israel was under the rule of the Egyptians. But during that time, they were relatively free to live and worship as they wished. They had temple sacrifices. They were able to practice their religion as they wanted. And at that time, again, 300 years before Christ, there was a conqueror who came onto the scene. His name was Alexander the Great. How many heard of him before? Alexander the Great 
conquered the entire known world at the time, famously from Macedonia, and uh, uh, conquering the world on behalf of Greek culture. And so when the Greeks came in under Alexander, they were doing more than just expanding their territory. They were expanding the culture, the Greek culture, the way of life, the view of life that they had at that time. And one of the things about Greek culture, which was interesting, is that they elevated the human body and the physical uh, universe above other things. They thought that the that uh, the gods were made in man's image. This is why whenever you see Greek frescoes of ancient times or you study the Greek pagan mythologies, um, you will find that the gods, you know, they all look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Mr. Universe. That they, they idolized and elevated the idea of physical health to a great level. This is why uh, one of the things that came out of Greek culture is the gymnasium. That was a Greek thing, so something that has survived to this day. Uh, people who are seeking um, the, the perfection of the world. And, you know, you can't make a superhero movie without being in superhero shape. Where does that superhero shape come from? That comes from the Greek philosophy of life, which says that the human body in its perfection is uh, a highest value. Why is this important? Well, because when the Greeks came to Israel, they figured out that Jewish people have a custom that went totally against their culture and view of life. Every male boy who is born uh, goes through a custom of circumcision. The way that the Greeks saw it, that is a deformity. That is... um, Uh, that is not something desirable. And so they began to outlaw the Jewish custom of circumcision wherever they went. Well, the Jews didn't like that so much because what Jews understand, what we know from the Bible, is that this is a sign of God's covenant. That this is how we mark ourselves as children of Abraham, the promise of circumcision. So there was a conflict between the Greek culture and the Jews living in the land at the time. This became violent, and uh, they, when they outlawed circumcision, it was offensive to the Greek mind. They then outlawed worship of the Torah. They began burning the scrolls, tearing down the synagogues, because in their mind, the physical body and physical universe is of utmost value. So there was a radical resistance of the Jewish people. And in this war, there was one particular hero named Judah Maccabee. I have been hoping that somebody at some point would make a movie about this guy, Judah Maccabee. The same way they made a movie about, uh, you know, uh, uh, what's the guy's name? The, uh, the Braveheart in, the, in Scotland. Uh, but, uh, you know, great, he, great war heroes. William Wallace, thank you. That, that this guy, Judah Maccabee, led a, uh, a well-organized a militia against the mighty Greek military. And even though it took about 20 years, they finally achieved their goal of retaking the city of Jerusalem and the temple that was in it. And the reason we have a celebration called Hanukkah is because when they came into Jerusalem, they found the temple in ruins. And that temple, one of the, the, one of the uh, practices in the temple is that they have to light a ceremonial candle. 
So when they came back into the Jewish temple, they found it there, and there was a lamp that they were going to light. But all of the Greek, the Greeks had destroyed everything. They had spilled all of the oil they would normally use for this light. But they lit it anyway. There was just a little bit left, only enough oil for one day. And the tradition goes that even though there was just a little bit of oil left, that oil continued to burn brightly so that they could have temple sacrifices, they could rededicate, and that's what the word Hanukkah means. It means a rededication. It means a return to godly principles and godly practices. So that is a great thing to celebrate this morning. And that is something that each of us needs to have in our own lives. This is the reason why we come to church. We come to rededicate our hearts to the Lord. We come to light the fire in the darkness of our souls. And in this message this morning, I want to uh, read a scripture from Luke chapter 2. And this is, these are the words of a prophet named Simeon, who at the time of Jesus' birth, that Mary and Joseph, they brought their son to the temple to dedicate him there, as every Jewish family would. They would bring him there on the eighth day of his life so that he would go through the ceremony of circumcision. And it was traditionally on that day that Jesus would receive his name, that boys uh, receive their names on the eighth day uh, with with the ceremony of circumcision. But as he's there, this man, there's a man named Simeon. The Bible says about him that he is a prophet. And uh, that God had promised this man, Simeon, that he would see the Messiah. And there are some words here that I want you to reflect on as we're going to look at this together. Luke chapter 2, verse 30. These are, again, the words of Simeon, the prophet, in the temple. He says, For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared before the face of all people. A light, say the word light, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. This is a message I've titled, A Light of Revelation. Let's pray. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus. Lord, we're praying for your grace and mercy upon this service today. Lord, we are desperate and needy people before you. Lord, in the hustle and bustle of this season, let us understand, Lord, it is your will to bring light and revelation into our lives. And we want to see clearly. God, we want to know you more perfectly. And I'm praying this morning, God, that uh, wherever there is darkness and confusion, and wherever there is uh, difficulty in our lives, that this morning, through Christ, that you would bring a light of revelation into our lives as well. We give you glory for all you're going to do. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I want to look firstly with you at the times of darkness. The Jewish people, uh, during the time of the Maccabees, they had been in a time of darkness. Where the Greeks had come in and destroyed their culture, their practices, and to them, that was an, uh, an offense. They had to rise up. And I believe when they retook that temple under Judah Maccabee and they relit that lamp, and the reason why we have eight little lights on that menorah today is because that light lasted for eight days when it should have only lasted one. That God blessed it and it was symbolic of the Jewish practices and customs coming back to the temple and God's blessing being upon it. 
it shows us that God wants to bring light into darkness. There, how many of you have ever experienced dark times in your life? It's interesting how often that the scripture uses the metaphor of light and darkness to illustrate the difference between good and evil. Do we have any Star Wars nerds in the house this morning? You have uh, uh, every, uh, every factoid to know about uh, the light and the dark side. Well, it's interesting how Star Wars became, became such a cultural phenomenon going back to when the first one came out. Uh, was it 77? And uh, built into the story is the idea of you have the light and you have the dark side of the force. And however, the force is going to animate either for good or for evil. There's power on both sides. But uh, the characters, the Jedi Master or the Sith, they can operate either as agents of the dark or agents of the light. And there is this uh, phenomenon built out in, these, in this movie. And it's, it, there are times when the darkness becomes so powerful that you think that there's no hope left. And you wonder why these movies have been such a cultural phenomenon. Because the very first one that came out in 1977, the title was A New Hope. Like a light being lit in the darkness. When nobody thought it was possible for darkness to be overcome, here comes a Skywalker who chooses the way of the light. And what it's showing us that this, this idea of the light illuminating in the darkness is something that we as human beings respond to, is something that God gives to the human race. Can we be reminded this morning that the darkness is real? We do face dark times. In fact, when you open the Bible to page number one, you find a scene that is draped in darkness. Before God goes through the six days of creation, it says in Genesis 1, verse 1, the very first verse says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But isn't it interesting that God didn't pre-make everything on the first day? That he put the raw materials in place, the heavens and the earth, but it says that the earth was without form, it was void, The original Hebrew there says that things were in chaos, and it says that the darkness was on the face of the deep. The idea here is that God is going to begin creating. How does he create? By speaking. And the very first thing that God creates, what is it? Light. He says, let there be light. And the very power of God's word animates molecules from darkness into light. Did you know that God didn't create the sun until the third day? So God created light even before the giant ball of helium is burning in the cosmos. So light is the most important thing for God to create because it illuminates the darkness. Why does God need to illuminate the darkness? Well... Because the enemy operates in darkness. As you begin to think about your own life, let me ask you a question. Of all of the bad decisions that you've made in your life, how many of those have happened in darkness? 
Usually, the worst things that happen to us happen at night. There are more crimes at night. There are more car accidents at night. There are more burglaries at night. There are more sexual assaults at night. All of the, most of the bad things that happen, happen at night. The enemy loves the cover of darkness. Why? Because in the darkness, he has advantage. In the darkness, we are disoriented. We are, we are confused. And not only that, but we have a carnal nature. We have a sinful, fallen flesh which prefers darkness rather than light. Isn't that interesting? Because uh, when Jesus came to the world, he said that the light has come into the darkness, but the, the, that men would rather remain in the darkness rather than having their evil deeds exposed. This is why Jesus, who lived a perfect life, was crucified. Because he came to a world where men live in darkness. It says uh, uh, that everyone practices evil, hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. If you've ever had an infestation in your house, where do the bugs go? They go to the dark places. And you open up a, a cupboard or a drawer, and you see little scurrying things happening. Why? Because the evil exists in the darkness. Now, it's very interesting that, that, uh, that the Christmas holiday exists in December. Well, it's weird because we, we know for a fact that it's not Jesus' real birthday, like December 25th. He was either born in the springtime or the fall. You can make a point for either way. But definitely not in December. <laughs> So why? Why do we have, why, why is this here? And why is the, the Hanukkah, has, has that become such a big tradition for the Jewish people as well? Well, it's no accident because December, what's happening during December is that it is the darkest month of the year. We have something that happens every December called the winter solstice, at least in the northern hemisphere. It's different below the equator. Those Aussies are upside down, so they have... Christmas in July, that's weird, but, uh, but there, uh, the day, the shortest day of the year is December 21st, sometimes December 22nd, and that is because the, the earth, as we know, is tilted on its axis, and so as we travel around the sun, our days get shorter, right, and we're struggling with this because don't you hate the sun going down at like 4.30? And what's happening is we are living now in a time where we are experiencing more darkness than at other times of the year. And it's during these dark months. It's even worse the closer you get to the poles, right? So if you go to Alaska, you maybe get one or two hours of light, and the rest of the day is in darkness. And symbolically, the reason why it's powerful is because we are celebrating the time when light enters into darkness. Christmas and Hanukkah both have a lot to do about lights. We put lights up on the house. We put lights in the, in the tree. We put, uh, uh, you go to Bush Gardens and they got, what, seven billion little twinkling lights or something. And why? Why is this, why is this part of the celebration? Because in the season of darkness, we want to bring light. We want to bring revelation. In the Hanukkah celebration, you've noticed, if, if you know anything about the Jewish, each day they're lighting 
another candle on the menorah. So as the time progresses, there is more and more light during the season of darkness. So this is a message for people who are going through a time of darkness. We will all go through seasons of darkness, as we do in in our calendar year, right? Every December you can expect the time changes. All of a sudden the sun is going down early, and that's just, you got to deal unless you move to the equator. That's the only way to avoid this. Or you have to get used to, okay, I understand this is a season of darkness. I, I didn't really realize this until I moved out of Phoenix. But did you know the human body responds to sunlight? I grew up 20 years in Phoenix, Arizona. And if you don't know about Phoenix, uh, Phoenix has 300 sunny days per year. That's a lot. It's a lot of sunshine. And so for 20 years, uh, this white skin was exposed to a lot of ultraviolet radiation. And, you know, you go out in the sunshine for 15, 20 minutes when you're my shade of pale white, uh, you can, you can uh, get burned quit pretty quickly. Uh, but what I'm saying is that there are also benefits to having sunny days. In general, the sun does have a good effect on people's disposition. If you want to understand why, has anybody here ever been to Seattle? Seattle is a place where they have only, on average, 60 days of sunshine versus 300. Now, if you are a person like me that grew up in Phoenix and you find yourself moving to Seattle, there is a real uh, documented effect that it can have on people. People find themselves depressed. People find themselves down in the dumps. Uh, It's the suicide capital of the United States. Why? Simply because the sun, the light, is hiding behind the clouds. There's a profound effect. I didn't even notice it until I moved away from that time. But, you know, I would find myself, like, going out on a cloudy day, not even thinking about, like, man, life sucks. And I was like, oh, I got it one day. It's because I'm not experiencing enough sunshine. Or I'm used to a greater diet of vitamin D. There is power in light. This is why you have lights in your house. Right? You could exist in the darkness. You can still breathe. You can still eat. You can still use the restroom. You can do all of those things in darkness, but you don't. Even when you're all by yourself, even when nobody else is around, when you go to the bathroom and you shut the door, you turn the light on, don't you? You don't do all those things in darkness. You do them in the light because light is powerful. What does light do for us? Number one, light reveals. Our scripture, when Simeon sees Jesus, he says about him, the prophecy over his life is that this boy, this son, is a light who will bring revelation. That is true about light in general. Light reveals things. Think about being in a dark room. Again, you're able to breathe. You're able to open your eyes. You're able to exist. You're able to live. But you're not going to get the whole story, right? It's only when you turn the light on, oh, wow, you start to get perception of your surroundings. You start to be able to to get through the day because what light does is, is it reveals, have you, uh, have you ever noticed, I, I find myself more and more as I'm getting, uh, I don't want to say old, but older than I used to be, 
I prefer to not drive at night. I could if I want to, but I find myself preferring I would rather drive during the daytime. If I'm going to go on a long trip, I'd rather wake up early when the sun comes out and drive during the day rather than trying to fight your eyes fading at nighttime, you know, two in the morning, uh, bumping up against the shoulder of the road. Why, why do we prefer, or why do I prefer driving in the day versus the night? Because, oh, you can see so much better in the daytime. There's fewer reflections and refractions, and uh, if it starts raining, you know, the, it's even harder to see when it's raining at night. Your vision, your view of the road is diminishing with every uh, distraction. This is true in the natural. This is true in the spiritual. The more that you serve God, the more he will reveal things to you. There's an author, Ray Stedman, who says, God reveals reality. Through Christ, he opens the eyes of our heart and life comes into focus. We can see clearly without distortion. It doesn't happen in one amazing transformation. Often this is a gradual process, for we would not be able to take a full revelation at one time. But the purpose of God entering into human hearts is so that we can see reality instead of our own uh, misguided perceptions. How does God show us what's real? He has to shine his light onto it. He has to show things as they really are. Light reveals, and so does God. If you ask, why did Jesus come? One reason is to reveal the world. Jesus said, I am the way, the The truth, and the life. Truth has a way of exposing reality. So when we say that in God is light, and in Christ the light reveals the life of men, God, as we serve Him, as we seek His Word, as we pray and fast, the places of darkness in our own lives, those mysteries and uh, things that we struggle with and uh, situations, we don't know how they're going to work out. How many know as time proceeds, we gain greater understanding and revelation as time goes by? That's God turning on the lights as we're walking through the different rooms of our life. You know, there are times, there are certain seasons and chapters of life, right? Just like in your house, you can be in a well-lit place. You can uh, be cooking dinner at night. And uh, you, you got some boiling pots on the stove. And you can have command of the situation. And then all of a sudden, you go to the garage and close the door. Whoops, I forgot to turn on the light. And be completely lost. Until you flip on a, another light. You know, life can be like that sometimes. You can be going through certain seasons and situations where you got things a little bit figured out. You've got, you got a plan. you got an idea. What's going to happen tomorrow? We have no guarantees, obviously, but there are certain things that we've worked out. We've got home. We've got family. We've got a season of, of stability where the bills are paid. And then it's like somebody, you, you close that door and you walk into another room and like, who am I? Where did this come from? Have you found yourself in a new season of of darkness where there's confusion? And then God has to begin turning on the lights for us once again. Not only does light reveal, light also measures. Again, in the darkness, there's confusion. 
dimensions become unclear. You know, if you are in, in total darkness, you wouldn't know how big a room is. You know, maybe you could, you could make a little noise and using some echolocation like Batman, you could figure out whether you're in a 10-foot room or a 100-foot room. But without the light, it's very difficult to know. You're not able to see. You're not able to sense. You're not able to measure things and rightly judge with, with accuracy when you're in the darkness. This is also true of your life. When the light of God's truth is absent, things become blurred. Things become bent and broken. Our, our, sometimes our, our decisions are mired in confusion in the darkness. In business, things can get murky. In paying our taxes, in raising children, we begin to bend certain, uh, certain institutions Politics and church and relationships and things begin to get murky and unclear. But how many know in the light we are able to measure with accuracy? A third thing that light does is it energizes. You know, everything that you eat, how many like to eat? The reason we like to eat is because it gives us energy. But everything that you eat came ultimately, if you track it back, came from the sun, right? So if you, if you go out and get a cheeseburger for lunch, that cheeseburger has ground beef on it. Well, that ground beef came from a cow. That cow had to eat grass and drink water. That grass that the cow ate, how did that grow? The sun had to shine on the grass, which causes the grass to grow, which causes the cow to get fat which causes you to have ground beef. All of the energy originally came from the sun. You could say that about anything that you eat. It's more direct when you're eating the vegetables, right? You know that the sun shines on the plants, which makes the vegetable, and you eat that. But that's true of every food that you eat. It's even true of Cheetos. Cheetos are made of corn. Corn is dependent on the energy of the sun. That sun it filters down through the various plants and animals, and then you put that energy into your body, and you can get through the next day. Isn't that crazy? It all came from the sun. That's true physically. It's an illustration. It's also true spiritually. Anything that God gives you to do, the reason you have strength to do it, it didn't come from the sun, S-U-N. It came from the sun, S-O-N. That's why when Simeon sees Jesus, he understands this is the light which is going to reveal the energy, the spiritual force that is going to go forward. This is why Jesus says, the end of his life, he's getting ready to go back to the Father, and he says, all authority has been given to me. All authority has been given to me, and now I give it to you. What is that? That's the spiritual power that we need to do God's will for our life. How do you have the spiritual energy to live for God, to say goodbye to your life of sin? How do you have the ability to do ministry and witness to people? How do you have the the ability to read Scripture and have it applied to your life and to begin to sanctify yourself and turn away from sin? Where does that energy come from? It came from the light came from the Son of God, revealed to the world. 
This is what God does. John 1, verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. John 8, 12. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The Bible says that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Let me ask you, in your life, where is there confusion? Where for you does there still exist turbulence and murkiness? Where is it that you are still trying to decide what's the right thing to do, what's the wrong thing to do? What you need is for God to flip the switch and turn on the light. You need a revelation from God, and that comes from that little baby that Simeon held in his hands. Luke chapter 2, verse 30, where he says, My eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. Simeon's an interesting character in the Scriptures. We only see him for this little short uh, 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 section of Luke chapter 2. And we get these uh, a few more details about him if you look at verse 25. A man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, he was just and devout. He was waiting on the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. This man, Simeon, is a great picture of a life of a person who is living in anticipation and expectation. Like, could you imagine what it would be like for a man like Simeon? God gave him a promise, one day, Simeon, you will see the Christ for yourself. You will see the Messiah, the one that's been promised for so long. He's coming and you're going to see him before you die, Simeon. If you had that word from God, what would that produce in you? Oh man, that that would be a life worth living. Oh man, I know it's going to be tough. Uh, Every time he gets a flat wagon wheel on his cart, he's going to turn to Mrs. Simeon and he's going to say, it's going to be okay, dear. Because guess what? God promised me we're going to see the light. I know it looks difficult now. I know it looks confusing. I know it's hard right now. But listen, God's going to turn on the light. We're going to find the one that we've been waiting for. Can I tell you, the life of Simeon is a little preview of how each and every one of us should live. Why? Because we have a promise too. We have a promise that maybe not before you leave this earth, but here's the promise, Jesus is coming soon. That from the very first Christians in the Bible, they were looking to the sky in anticipation of a returning Savior. The moment we lose that anticipation and that expectation of God at any moment, He can flip on the lights and bring hope in the midst of darkness. That's why... This season, we should be reminded why we celebrate. It's not toys. It's not shopping at the mall. It's not Santa Claus. It's not decorations. It's not parties. It's not food. It's not ugly sweaters. It's not Christmas movies like Elf. It's not Miracle on 31st Street. It's not wreaths or trees or stockings or elves. It's not the North Pole. It's not bows or ribbons or glitter or wrapping paper. It's not even Ebenezer Scrooge. 
the reason we celebrate is because God brings hope into the darkness. All of those things may bring you to that deeper truth, but don't forget the truth. The same reason why Simeon holds this boy in his hands and says, this is the light that will reveal to the generations and the Gentiles and people who we don't even know. The reason why we can have hope in the darkness of this life, the reason why we can continue to have joy in the midst of persecution and illness and death in the family, the reason that we can continue to proclaim good news in a world full of bad news is because we have the light. Do you have the light? Are you a light that shines in the darkness, or are you part of the darkness? How many know that Christians, we're called to be the light that shines? We're called to be different than this darkness in the world. We're called to be the ones that have a reason for hope and joy. Sometimes I tell people, man, you might be saved, but your face needs to get saved. You might have a, 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 you know, a, a hope in salvation, but uh, you know, we ought to let that hope shine into a broken world a few times. People ought to be able to see the joy of expectation. How would Simeon feel as this boy, which was the answer to every promise that had been given to the Jewish people, and he saw this boy? How would he feel? There would be no words to express the joy and exuberance, the excitement at promises fulfilled. He says, this is the light that brings life and revelation to the Gentiles. So my call to you this morning as we close, wherever in your life is existing darkness today, wherever there is confusion, wherever there is brokenness, wherever there is bondage to sin, wherever there is relational confusion, Wherever there is murkiness, it seems like you're in a dark room. You can't even figure things out. I want to remind you that in this season, we are celebrating the light who came down from heaven to shine in the darkness. And the church for 2,000 years has been proclaiming to a broken world, we have the hope. But we cannot proclaim that to the world unless we've got it in our own lives. If you don't have the hope for the world, you better find something here at this altar. A reason to have hope to carry on tomorrow. A reason to believe a faithful expectation that good things are coming. And you know, you can keep that even in hard times. You can keep that even when things look bleak. Even when the world might look at your life and say, why? You have no reason to hope. And you can say, I have a hope in the light of revelation. God can send his light into my life and I can become the lighthouse. The lighthouse that shines in the darkness. You know, today with navigation and radar and GPS, that ships don't need the lighthouse anymore. But back in the day, before satellites, the lighthouse was a critical part of navigation. What did that lighthouse do? That from a distance, there's a bright light that shines from the coastline. And that ship would see it circling around and say, oh, right there. Even in the darkness, even in the storm, even in the difficult, the wind and the waves, but I can see that's where we're headed. Can I tell you, that's a picture of our lives. That there might be people in your life who are desperately searching for an answer. That's what I mentioned earlier today. 
There might be people in your life that are, even today, they're contemplating suicide. There might be people in darkness of confusion, relationships falling apart. Can God use you as his lighthouse to shine the light of Christ into darkness? He is here this morning. Let's be reminded that in the dark seasons, Christ is that source of light which brings hope to lost people. Let's bow our heads this morning. Close our eyes for just a moment.